please stand for the reading of God's word. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to give birth a time to die, and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts. But no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. Please pray with me. Dear Holy Father, thank you for bringing us here today and letting us get closer to you. I pray over the scripture and Pastor David. Thank you for your unbelievable kindness and grace. And I pray over everyone in this building, just please bless them and everyone around them. And I just ask for forgiveness from our sins. In in your son's name we pray, amen. By the summer of 2015, my dad's cancer diagnosis had gone from a matter of if to a matter of when. We had time, we thought maybe a year, but we knew whatever time we had was limited. We had been living in Italy quite a while at the time, so we thought a summer back in the States would be wise. Great opportunity for us to connect with uh, some of our sending churches, some of our supporters. But more than anything, just a time to spend with my father while he was still healthy. About halfway through that summer, we were staying with some friends, and the phone rang about two o'clock in the morning. It's one of those rings that wakes you up from a dead sleep, and you know immediately it's not good news on the other end. Nick answered the phone, it was her mom, giving her the news that her dad had died of a heart attack in the middle of the night. But a week after that phone call, the day after my father-in-law's funeral, my mother-in-law had a massive stroke. Several days later, As my wife was in the ICU in her mother's hospital room, my dad's health began to spiral out of control. And what we thought was maybe a year turned into hours. Within days, I found myself sitting at my father's deathbed in Atlanta, wondering which breath would be his last. As my wife sat next to her mother's hospital bed in the ICU here in Nashville, 
And it was in that moment we, we received a call. It was from our adoption agency. We didn't expect to receive that call because they had told us it would be probably a year and a half, maybe two years. But they wanted to let us know that we had been chosen by birth mother to adopt a child. And that mother was due in a month. You know anything about adoption? A month is lightning speed. We were not ready. We had no crib. We had no clothes. We had no idea what to do. We explained the situation that we were in uh, to the agency and said, can, can we just call you back in a couple of days? Would that be okay? And they were very understanding. With a great amount of grace, they hung up the phone and told us they'd talk to us soon. Soon came quicker than we thought it would because six hours later they called back. Well, she's gone into labor. She's six centimeters dilated. If you want this child, you need to get on a plane and come to Reno and pick up your son. The very next morning, my wife got on a plane out to Nevada. My father died while she was in the air, 15 hours after my son was born. Father-in-law died. Mother-in-law had a stroke. Father died. Son was born. All in a matter of three weeks, none of which we had any idea was coming. In the weeks and months and years that followed that fateful summer of 2015, our friends didn't know what to say. I heard a lot of Ecclesiastes 3. There's a time for everything, death and life. I heard some Jeremiah 29, 11. I don't get it, David, but God has great plans. He has good plans for you in all of this. A healthy portion of Romans 8.28. All things work together for the good of those who love him, David. My confession to you is I hated it every time I heard it. It made me feel better. It didn't change the pain and the suffering and the confusion. Over the next three weeks, we are going to spend time talking about the seasons of life and the seasons of loss. Largely, I'm going to be preaching to myself. What we are not going to do over the next three weeks is roll out a series of motivational posters. We're not going to talk about how all you need to do is just hang in there. 
everything's going to be okay. Don't worry, just be happy, right? What we are going to do is reclaim the Scripture. We're going to reclaim what these verses tell us and teach us. What we are going to do is recognize very real Suffering and pain and loss and confusion. And we're going to honor that. And what we are going to do is equip one another to walk in this world. Both in our own confusion and in the suffering and confusion of those around us. Have you ever wondered what this is all about? What's the purpose? Does it even matter? Of course you have, because you're human, and that is one of the most basic, fundamental questions we ask ourselves as humans. It is something that has been wrestled with for millennia. In the dead center of the Bible, we find a book called Ecclesiastes, unique both in its content and in its form. This book is written by a man calling himself the teacher. Maybe some of your translations says the preacher. The original Hebrew that he uses says the, the assembler or leader of the assembly, the group. He is a person of great power. He is a person of great wisdom. He is a person of great wealth. He wrote Ecclesiastes near the end of his life as a memoir chronicling his search for the answer to that very question. What does it all mean? Does it have purpose? Does any of it matter? He searched for that meaning in riches, in labor, in wisdom, in possessions. Largely, his search is couched in the terms of man's relationship with time. In the very first chapter, the teacher leads with these words, absolute futility, says the teacher, absolute futility, everything is futile. How's that for an opening line? He then goes on to talk about how life itself is just a vapor. It is fleeting. It is temporary. In chapter, th- in chapter 2, he goes even a little bit deeper. He says, not only is your life just a vapor, only temporary, but everything in it, everything you're pursuing, just as temporary, possessions, Wealth, labor, 
wisdom. It is all like chasing the wind. Trying to find meaning and purpose in these things is like chasing the wind. And here in chapter 3, in this beautiful, classic poem that Annalise read for us this morning, he begins to kind of shift his focus a little bit. Everything is like chasing the wind. And then he gives us these, this series of opposite couplets. Starting in verse 2, he gives us the two poles. There's a time to be born, there's a time to give birth, and there's a time for death. Everything that follows that lays out all of the things that happen in between those two poles. Your life is temporary. If there, is t- if there are two things that every human that has ever walked this planet has in common, they are they were born and they will die. In between those two inevitable events of your life, there is a time and season for everything. You see, chapter three is all about knowing time and redeeming that time. And and as you read it, it seems kind of super pessimistic. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how good you are. There will always be pain and suffering and death and war. Well, that's true. But it also has become one of the most popular sermons that's preached right after New Year's. This is, this is the sermon that we preach the first Sunday of the year because it does talk about time. It's that thing of it, it's this wisdom of telling us to discern the proper times in our life as we're setting up for the coming year, kind of pushing reset, which New Year's does for all of us, it gives us new hope. Everything's gonna change. We, we remember there is a time to reap and a time to sow. There is a time to speak and a time to be silent, something I am not very good at. There is a time to search and there is a time to recognize when that thing you are searching for is lost. See, there's a massive problem with that interpretation of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And the problem lies in the fact that that interpretation assumes Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is written with us as the focus. Is written so that we might know and discern the proper time and the proper season for all of these things that occur between our birth and our death. But the teacher doesn't write this passage with us as the focus. Flip back with me to the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes. As he writes this book, as he writes this memoir, there are several phrases he uses over and over and over again. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 3. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? Chapter 1, verse 14, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, 
and have found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. Chapter 2, verse 11, when I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile in a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Chapter 2, verse 17, therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing for me over and over again. Everything under the sun, everything on this planet, I've tried it all. Gave me meaning, purpose, fulfillment. It was all like chasing the wind. And then he shifts, chapter three. There is a purpose and occasion for everything, there's a time for every activity under heaven. You see, this wasn't written about our physical pursuits on this planet, this was written with an eternal timeline in mind. Everything under God's hand has a time and has a season. This is not about us discerning when to sow and when to reap. This is not about us discerning all of these different things. This is about recognition of God and His sovereignty. And when we look at this passage from that perspective with God as the focus, suddenly it becomes a foundation of hope and of security. Suddenly we are reminded of that verse that so many of us Bristle when we hear Romans 8.28. All things come together for the good of those who love God. According to His purpose. You see, one of the problems with the way we use that verse is we think it is written in a vacuum. We pull it out of the scripture, we cross-stitch it on a throw pillow, and we think it is the exact band-aid that is going to fix the deep, deep wounds of our suffering. But that verse was not written in a vacuum. That verse, like every other verse, is read in the context in which it was written. And there in Romans chapter 8, we see several things about the timing and purpose and sovereignty of our Heavenly Father. All things come together for the good of those who believe according to His purpose. The first thing we have to recognize is the good is connected to His purpose. Not ours, but His. A purpose of an eternal timeline. Not a purpose bound by our temporary lifespan. Even in that, if you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 8, go back just a few verses. There in Romans eight eighteen, Paul recognizes and highlights the fact that although it pales in comparison to our coming glory, There will always be suffering. All things come together for good does not mean this too shall pass. 
There will always be suffering. As a matter of fact, in that passage in Romans chapter 8, Paul begins to talk about how creation itself groans for restoration. Because it was not designed to be this way. When, when sin and brokenness entered the world, nothing was as it should be. Everything groans for that, for that restoration to its original design and original purpose. And that restoration only comes in God's perfect timing. In verse 23, Paul goes on to say, not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies, eagerly waiting for things to be as they should be, because in this life we only have glimpses. Now in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees groaning for restoration recognizing suffering is a part of life but understanding that it is in God's sovereignty and his purpose that we have this hope you know the seasons Probably, I bet we all recognize, hopefully we all recognize, play an incredibly important role in agriculture, an incredibly important role on the farms that provide all of the food in our grocery stores. Spring, as the weather begins to get warmer, a time for the planting of the seeds a time for new life and new growth. The skeletal trees begin to give us their beautiful tiny green buds. The crops begin to be born from the fields. Birds chirp, the sun shines. As spring gives way to summer, it's a time of growth and maturation in the fields for the crops. As the roots grow deeper and stronger looking for moisture. As the sun feeds the crops, the warmth allows them to grow and mature, leading us into fall and the beauty of the harvest season at just the right appointed time. The celebration of harvesting the fruits of our labor and the growing seasons. And then fall leads to winter. Inevitably, year after year, the trees lose their leaves. The skies grow cloudy and dark. The weather gets cold. The fields are barren. Darkness comes earlier and earlier. So often, we desperately want to run from winter. 
I heard someone this week talk about how, how humans tend to be like snowbirds of the soul. You know those retirees that live in Minnesota that five months a year go down to their place in Gulf Shores, Alabama just to get away from the cold? That's what we do in the seasons of our life in those winter seasons. We just want to run to spring to make this stop. Winter is hard, it's cold, it's dark, but it has a purpose. Established crops, the vineyards, the olive trees desperately need a time of dormancy so that they can have the strength for the growing season. The soil must be replenished with all the minerals and the nutrients that it's given up to allow us to have the harvest. The freezing and thawing of the soil loosens it, allowing it to be ready and prepared for the growing roots. Winter has a purpose and we must let it do its job. The problem is we have a terrible relationship with time. We live in a world where we get tomatoes all year round. We live in a world where we are temporal creatures bound by the life cycles physically here. Yet we live in an eternal timeline. We must conform to the limitations of our life cycle, which causes incredible frustration since as the teacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 tells us, a longing for eternity has been put on our very souls. Those souls that bear the imprint of an eternal God. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in our hearts. But no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. It's what makes Roman 8.28 so frustrating sometimes. I want the good. I don't understand the purpose. But let me ask you this this morning. If we could understand, if we really could wrap our minds around the eternal purposes of our eternal Father, what type of God would we be worshiping? The danger is when we can't embrace that, so many of us fall into the unhappy business of seeking gain and surplus and fulfillment, meaning and identity in our temporary toil in the things of this earth, in the vapor of our lives. Like chasing the wind. 
Now here in this passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 12 and 13, the teacher tells us these temporary things of our lives, their gifts, enjoy them. Enjoy a cup of coffee on a cold winter morning with your spouse. Enjoy curling up with an amazing book. Enjoy friends and family. Enjoy the fruits of your labor. They are all good gifts. But they are poor gods. It is when we are able to recognize the sovereignty and eternal purpose of God that meaning and purpose and identity, hope, fulfillment, contentment can be found only in Him. That is when the lyrics of that incredible classic hymn, It Is Well, begin to speak to our hearts. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. When the joy and celebration of a new child comes into your life. When you lose two parents in two weeks. It is well. It is well with my soul. Over the next three weeks, we want to spend time at the end of each service with a moment of prayer, a moment of reflection, a moment to commune with our eternal sovereign Father. I want you to take just a minute. Find a posture. Find a place. If it's in your pews, if it's in the aisles, if it's here in the front, put yourself in a place of receiving from God. Now take just a minute to just get here. To be in this moment, to be in this place.
deal with anything in your life that is creating a barrier between you and your Heavenly Father. Father. 